You are listening to Armchair Theology, a theological podcast for untheological people. Every week, we walk through basic beliefs of Christianity, talk about what they mean, and why it matters for us today. I'm your host, Stephen Anglis, pastor at Bayview Bible Church, and I am joined by my co-host and former Old Testament professor, Dr. John McMath. Join us. Okay, so we are rolling and you are watching us on Facebook or maybe on YouTube. And we just want to say with our coffee raised high, greetings to you. And you know that I came prepared this morning because I can see that this is the first time that I've actually remembered to bring coffee. So I must have woken up a little bit earlier this morning or something (laughs) because I came not just with a Bible in hand, but also coffee. And everyone knows that a good theologian needs Bible in one hand. A Bible and a cup of coffee will do the job. So are you the kind of person that it's, let's say it's July and it's 95 degrees out and you've been working out in the garden or pulling some weeds or whatever, and you come in, it's maybe 2.30 in the afternoon and you say, you know what? I'm gonna pour myself a nice hot popping cup of coffee. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Huckleberry soda. Huckleberry soda. All right. Yep. Well, yep. good for you because, I, I, yeah. Uh, Super One uh, sells a huckleberry soda. It's a store brand. Yeah. And it's, uh, for my money, that's the stuff. That's where you want to go. Yeah, that's where I want to go. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, unless yeah. Coke ha- happens to be the cheap one. Exactly. But uh, Huckleberry soda is is my go-to. Yeah, I'm the kind of shopper when I go to the store, it's not necessarily what do I want, but what is in the general vicinity of what I want and is on sale right now. Yeah. That's how I go. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that about coffee because I know when I was growing up, I would work with my grandfather in West Virginia. I'd work with my Uncle Bob. (laughs) All those guys down there, we'd work, we'd be sweating, and they would just be drenched. And we'd come up to the house get on the porch and I'd have like a Coke or something and they would have a mug of coffee. Hot coffee. So I'm, I'm glad that you're not that ridiculous yeah. in, in the, not in quite the that ridiculous. No, I do still drink a lot of coffee in the summer. And there's plenty of other ridiculous things about you, I guess that we can well, find there, out. There, right. Okay. This is, this is definitely <laughs> true. I, I am, uh, I am not the average dog. And we're thankful for that. Pets. Well, uh, you may be watching this for the fourth or fifth time. You may actually be watching us for the very first time. And this is kind of unique because when we started this whole deal, by the way, my name's Stephen. I'm the pastor of a church called Baby Bible Church in North Idaho. And I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. John McMath, retired from the Moody Bible Institute. Retired. Okay. But you're still teaching some aviation classes. I am, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm uh, technically I'm adjunct, which means okay, absolutely no benefits except I get to show up. Hey, adjunct professors are people too. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> adjunct professors are people too. Well, I, I don't think there was ever any doubt about that, but uh, not mm, a lot, not a lot oh, of Okay, venues. okay. Yeah. But I've been pastoring here at Baby Bible Church for about two years now. You had been doing a lot of pulpit supply for this church before I got here. And you're actually, you and your wife, Donna, are supported missionaries in your work in Italy and the Philippines by our church. So that has kind of brought our worlds together for the second time. Uh, The first time being when I was just one of those freshmen 
white-paled faces out in the <laughs> sea of the auditorium, yeah. furiously taking notes about some leopard on a snowy day in a pit somewhere, or there being death in the pot, and you know, just trying to figure out, okay, got to put this down and put this down, and, and yeah, freshmen always feel the need to take notes about the stuff they're not ever going to forget anyway. I was a terrible <laughs> note taker as a freshman and your class really made me realize that in true fashion. <laughs> there weren't any questions on the tests about that, were there? Not a single yeah, one. Yeah. None of your stories, none of your jokes, none of your Lord of the Ring references. <laughs> not a single one to be found. But sadly, I feel like those are the things that I remember most from that class. <laughs> but all that being said... Since this whole coronavirus, we usually at our church would have a Bible study. The women would have a Bible study. The men would have a Bible study on Thursday mornings. And this was a great time at our church where we would come together. Maybe we would talk about last week's sermon. Uh, but it was also a great time because we would dig into some tough topics. Maybe some things that I didn't really get to talk a lot about on Sunday morning uh, would come up. And, and we would just have great conversations about big questions of the Bible. And so when coronavirus happened and we lost that, we said, well, why don't we try to have a kind of video Bible study where we're going to go on Facebook. It's going to be live. The two of us will sit at a table and we'll talk about God's word. We'll talk about last week's sermon. And if anyone wants to comment or join in, we can kind of dialogue with them. And that actually ended up going really well. Yeah. There was ups and downs with technology. Yeah. Um, so some were better than others, but for the most part, it was it became widely viewed, uh, not just by our church, but by people outside of the church. And this all led us to decide, you know what, let's continue doing this, but adjust it a little bit, where instead of just talking about last week's sermon, we will kind of do a series, I guess you could say, where we are going to focus on basic Christian theology, where we're going to walk through different subjects of theology that Christians may not really know about. They may have heard of it before. They may have heard someone reference it before, but they've always thought that it's not for them. And we're going to week by week walk through these different topics, talk about why they matter, talk about some of those tough questions, but most importantly, talk about why it matters for the everyday person and their relationship, however good or distant it may be between them and God. So this is a podcast now, and we are called Armchair Theology for that very reason, because we want to make these things that are sometimes intimidating very approachable. And because you as a Christian, if you're watching this, you actually have a responsibility to know more about theology, because whether you like it or not, we covered this last week, actually, you are a theologian yep. because you have some kind of thought about God. So that's what we're going to dive into today. We encourage you guys, if you're watching this on Facebook, continue to comment. We're going to be premiering this at 6 o'clock in the evening. So it's probably 6.05 or so right now as you guys are watching this. You can continue to dialogue, and we will have someone responding to you as those comments happen. Cool. Uh, so this is not purely live, but the interaction on Facebook, uh, we're still hoping, can happen in real time. So oh, how cool is that? Yeah, we're, we're still trying to kind of add that human element a little bit. Yeah. We, we don't want this to just be a we'll presentation. Synchronized watches or something. Well, all it's going to mean is either me or my wife, Kimmy, will just <laughs> hop on Facebook when the video premieres. Check, uh, check the, the chat mm -hmm, room. Yeah. And the video will premiere 
in live form, everyone will be notified. So everyone will be called to watch it together. And if comments happen, we'll just uh, respond. We won't be able to respond right now, yeah. but on the comment section, we'll be able to. Right. And what we're going to start off with today, there's all kinds of different ologies that make up <laughs> theology. That's one of the things I learned when I got to Moody, that there's really no such thing as just theology. There's these big words like eschatology yeah. or soteriology or pneumatology and <laughs> bibliology. Yeah. And these are just like different subcategories that exist in this large, broad subject of Christian theology. Right. And what we'll do, this will probably take about a month each, depending on theology, I guess. We will, yeah. week by week, be parsing through these Angelology different... Angelology is going to go quick. Yeah, you're real, right. Angel and demonology. Yeah, yeah this will be pretty quick. I agree with you there. I, I agree with you there. What is <laughs> yeah, there's only so much time you really can spend. Uh, there are, uh, there are ten, on average, tenologies in the classic... Is it really? Or are you just pulling my leg? No, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Um, in the classic list, we've got ten. On the spot here, do you think you could run through a name on theologies, or do you think... I don't think so. Why don't you... I don't think so. How many can you think of right now? Bibliology, theology proper, okay, uh, Christology, pneumatology, uh, angelology, anthropology, uh, hamartiology, having to do with sin, Sin, soteriology, Mm -hmm. uh, ecclesiology, eschatology. You got it, yeah. I yeah. Got yeah. All right. Nice. I might have gotten one or two of those out of order. But you forgot the eleventh one: pastorology, pastorology the theology yeah. of just if the pastor makes a mistake, just ignore it. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. don't bring it up and keep. No, just kidding. That's a very that. important principle, actually. <laughs> yeah. <that's> a... <laughs> My church, thankfully, is very good at that ology. <laughs> well, I'm impressed that that you're able to get through all of those, and well, that, it, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of the order of church history. Hmm. I guess you're right. Because in the very beginning, actually the church started up with presuppositions about God and then dealt with uh, theology because the Bible was being written. Yeah, so in the early history of the church, 2,000 years ago, after the New Testament had been written, the church that comes together, the questions that they're going to have to figure out and deal with basically went through that order. They started out dealing with through that order. Who is God? Is he man? Is he spirit? It wasn't until the Reformation that the doctrine of salvation became an issue. Yeah. It should have been an issue earlier. (laughs) 1,500 years later, and they're finally getting... Augustine actually addressed it. Yeah. And uh, everybody said, oh, yeah, right, that's really good. And then they went off in another direction. (laughs) By the way, Mary, yes. (laughs) By the way, you know... Unfortunately. Excuse me. Hello, Hello. So why do we bring all this up? Again, you'll hear me say things like this over and over again. We want to kind <laughs> of to say get me these back to the point. Well, we want to say these things because we want to show that the things we're going to be dealing with are the things that the smartest people in church history were dealing with. Yeah. We're we're going to challenge you guys. We're we're not going to pull punches. We are really going to um, we're going to deal with these pearls and we're not going to say, well, this doesn't matter for you, or you're not educated, so you're not good enough for this, or you're not ready for this. Everybody's ready for you this. You are, or nobody is ready for this, <laughs> whatever way you want to look at it. There, there are some things that are true about God that 
we will never fully understand. Yeah. So when looking at all these ologies, whether it's the theology of sin or salvation or the nature of God, where should we start off? And <laughs> if you go to the Christian bookstore and you pick up different theology books, you'll find that every different theological author chooses to usually start with something different. But it tends to be one of the same two or three. Yeah, basically it's either uh, theology proper or bibliology. And theology it, proper is on the nature of God, God, who is God. Person and nature of God. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, the reason for that, Hey, God seems like a good place to start. Yeah, it's a good place to start. And most of it, most conservatives prefer to start with the doctrine of Scripture. But when you start with the doctrine of Scripture, which we're going to do today, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, we discover that there are some places where we're, to use the word classically, we're begging the question. Hmm, how so? Because they, uh, so the, uh, the, uh, the Bible teaches in the beginning, mm -hmm. God created heaven. So there's God sitting there before anything else had ever happened. I get what you're saying. And we haven't yet demonstrated, we're studying the Bible now about what God mm -hmm. said, but we haven't yet demonstrated that God. That's exists. the problem. Where are you going to start? Are you going to start with. So if you start with a demonstration of God, you have to do it without the Bible. That's Which the is also difficult. It is difficult. Do. So yeah. the two of them really work. They really do work in tandem. And some people choose to focus on God first. Some people choose to focus on the Bible first. Things like this, it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Because but it, it does matter a whole lot. But it, it really does. Uh, but it's, there's going to be pros and cons to each. It doesn't change the trajectory very much. The end point <laughs> is the same. And this morning, we are going to start, as hard as the decision may be of where you're going to start at, but, but we are going to start with bibliology. Start, yeah. And our kind of thinking behind why we're going to start with bibliology, and maybe this is just me from a pastoral standpoint, but have you ever come across a situation where maybe you're having an argument, conversation, debate, whatever you want to call it, with someone about who God is? Yeah. It could be atheist, liberal, Mormon, Someone somewhere on the spectrum of Roman Catholicism, and you're having discussions about, well, what's going to happen in the end times, or does God even exist, or how does someone become saved? And they have good arguments, you have good arguments, you spar, but what it always seems to come down to is what do you think about the Bible? Pastorally, yeah. just on the field, yeah. that seems to be a predicament. Maybe not necessarily philosophically or within the vacuum of just studying theology. But in the field, I seem like I come across that problem even more than, well, I don't even believe in God. It's always the Bible that people wrestle with. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, the centrality of the Bible to Christianity is um, essential to understand. The, the basic issue comes down to the question of authority. Hmm. Uh, because the, mm -hmm. uh, the atheist will say, well, I know that there is no God on the authority of my own personal reason. Of me, yeah. You know, I am so smart that I've thought it through and I've come to the conclusion there's no God. And I've chosen and that any evidence of God is not good enough evidence based on my own no evidence evaluation of what is present evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, is acceptable. Mm -hmm. And no logic that you could possibly present mm -hmm. is uh, incontrovertible. Mm. Uh, and that's a decision that he's made. 
It, it and, absolutely and is. And that authority, of course, he, you know, once you've accepted that authority, then there, there is no appeal. The authority being yourself. Yourself, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's so true. And maybe the big lights on for me with that, and again, I'm just speaking personally, just anecdotally from my own life. I'm not going to claim that just my own past experiences is an authority either. I'm just sharing as a person what I've experienced. I remember as a freshman at Moody Bible Institute, there was a group of Muslims from Gonzaga that people in our house became good friends with. And we started to have like dinners with them and stuff. And they were really cool people, actually. And what really struck me, and I want to be very careful how I communicate this, but what struck me was a realization that from these guys' perspective, they truly, totally believe in God. Yeah. Oh, the God of Abraham? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, that's Allah. That's we, the one. We, yeah. we believe in him totally. <laughs> the problem is, well, there was a lot of problems, but what the problem would seem to gear towards is, well, we believe that what Muhammad has written or what Muhammad has communicated and the people after him yeah. is more authoritative than the Old and New Testament that you have in your hand. So that's where the impasse would always come because we would try to give them evidence that is from God's word. And they would say, well, no, that's not valid. It is Muhammad that is valid. And the same thing would happen. I remember a homeless person uh, taking them out to a diner, me and a guy named Brett. And Brett, if you're watching this, hi. And he was a Mormon (laughs) and great discussion, great commentary. And he totally, from his perspective, as best as he could, felt like he believed in God. Yeah, I mean, the God, yeah, who closed the mouth of the lions and all that. Yeah, that's, I believe in him, but. But he rejects the Bible. I reject the Bible, and I would rather accept what Joseph Mormon and the people (laughs) after him. That's always the caveat. The people after him communicated. We see that as more authoritative. So. um, Yeah, it comes down to what you accept as the final authority uh, in that. Making the argument for biblical authority in matters of faith and practice uh, is an excellent starting point. It, it really is where we have to begin. Um, and let's talk about that just real quick. When we say that word authority, I know what you mean, yeah. and you know what you mean, but maybe the people watching or listening, <laughs> they don't know. When they think authority, they think, oh, like a police officer or yeah, a teacher right, right, in a classroom. Right. When we yeah. say that, oh, the Bible is authoritative, yeah. that's a word theologians love to use. Yeah. What do we mean when we say it, it has authority, the, the authority of God's word? Well, but when, when we, we speak of authority in the, in the logical sense or an apologetic sense, uh, we mean the, the standard by which the truth of a proposition can be judged. What is it that makes it? True. Am I, am what, I putting that right? Or, well, uh, it, yeah. Uh, when we say the Bible is the final authority, mm-hmm. that means that if there's a question about what should, we should believe or how we should live, yeah, uh, the the Bible is the the plumb line, the standard, yeah, that reflects the character of God to such an extent that we can accurately compare our position with the position as demonstrated in the Bible. And the Bible is the final authority. So okay. if a correction needs to be made, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't correct the Bible. I correct myself. Yeah. It's, it's like when, when I put a plumb line next to a brick wall mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I've made sure that the plumb line has stopped swinging in the breeze, and I've mm-hmm. you know, done the things. Yeah. Then when I make my measurement, I know the plumb line is right, the wall is off. It's the plumb line the, the that is wall the authority. It's the correction. That's the one that you trust. I remember as a teacher, poor seventh grader, had this predicament <laughs> where. I had told the class to do something. Okay, guys, take out your notes. We're going to look at these three questions here. Write me two or three sentences, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and this kid's mom came to pick him up. Yeah. And I knew that the kid's mom was coming. But I see the mom show up at the door. You know, we have a little nod and, and look. <laughs> and she says, you know, hey, Timmy, or whatever. Let's go. <laughs> and you could see in the poor kid's eyes who he, he wanted to be an obeyer. He wanted yeah. to do what was right. Sure. And he had just been given directions by the teacher. And now he had just been given directions by his mother. Yeah. And he's yeah, thinking, yeah. where's the authority is actually what he was thinking. Which one, which one has a greater authority? And I made him know very quickly, buddy, it's your mother. <laughs> Do what mom says. Your mom needs you. Pack up your stuff. I know I gave yeah. you directions, but right now mom is the one that has the authority, yeah. Yeah, not exactly right. the teacher. So even though they both have authority in their specific instances, uh, one has greater authority, and the same would be true of the Bible. I could look up, I could look up a cookbook, and in the opening of the cookbook, they would say, "Well, this is my philosophy for how you should live your life," and that's all well and good. But if the Bible says the opposite of what that cookbook says, yep. I would hope, and I think you guys would probably hope too, that we're <laughs> going to say, "Well, there's something about the Bible that makes what it says more binding, yep. more important." Uh, more trusted, yeah. and it's it's worthwhile thinking about the elements of that argument. Yeah, it, yeah, it makes sense to do that. So, so really, bibliology, and there's a certain kind of main point we're going to focus on for the next 20 minutes or so. But really, as we talk about bibliology, we're really going to have to be dealing with why is this book the Bible? Why is it authoritative? Yeah, what makes it authoritative for our life? And how should we treat the Bible as opposed to treating other things in the world like other books, other religious works, even things like nature? Because everyone who lives their life is living their life according to some source that they see as authoritative. That's right. Everyone's living according to some code, according to some law that they say, this is what I see as true and binding and forceful and worth obeying over everything else. And we could, we could spend all day just going through the list of what that is. And sometimes you spend time with someone and you learn pretty quickly what that probably is for them. Yeah. So what we have to do is we need to start out by looking at bibliology. What is it that makes the Bible true? What is true about the Bible? How should Christians really understand the role of the Bible in their life? And to do that, I am going to start out by talking about a word known as revelation. Not the book of Revelations. That's going to come much later. But rather. But one of the first things that we really need to talk about today is that when we think about God, and this was even brought up in our conversation earlier this morning, that isn't it incredible that if we're going to even presuppose, okay, if there is a God, he's definitely mysterious. Uh, He's up there somewhere. We, We can't see him. We, we wouldn't know anything about him. We are just these mortal creatures. He's this great, immortal, supreme being. 
the ultimate mystery God. Yet God chose for whatever reason, and I think we could find there are some reasons why he did this, but he chose that I'm going to create the universe. I'm going to create people and I'm going to create people in such a way that they are going to be able to perceive me. And we call that being made in his image that I'm going to create them so that they can somehow perceive me based on what I choose to reveal about myself to them. That's right. That is incredible that we, and I feel like I'm getting into theology proper now, which is to your point. (laughs) Yes. But if we believe there's a God, just the notion that, wow, God has chosen to reveal himself to us. But the question is, is if God does reveal himself to us, what are the different ways that God does that? And when we say reveal, another term for that would be revelation. Revelation is something that is being revealed. When looking at the history of the world, the universe, the Bible, bibliology, theology, we find that there are really two different types of revelation, two different general subtypes of how God reveals himself. What would those two things be? Well, we generally speak of this as general and special. General revelation. General revelation and special Special revelation. revelation. Uh, General revelation is... The created universe, mm-hmm. but not not merely the material stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also the the abstract laws that go with the created universe. Mm-hmm. So uh, general revelation is uh, uh, expressed to us. Romans one is one of the best places. Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, they are without excuse because. What is known about God has been revealed to them through what has been made. Through what has, has been, been made. made. So if we if we take a uh, an accurate, objective, careful look at the created universe, yeah. we learn all kinds of things. That's what science is all about. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, uh, Christians are, are are often criticized as being anti-science, but that's mm. a stupid criticism. It, uh, it kind of is, and what, when they say you're anti-science, what they really mean is you're anti-my science. Yeah, well, you're or what I call anti- my science. My interpretation. Yes, of, there's yes. a difference between an interpretation of data yeah. and the discovery of data itself. That's so uh, true. And I am uh, I am very very positive towards scientists who spend a lifetime carefully observing, yeah. uh, doing experiments, and coming to to careful conclusions about what the data actually is. And when talking about data, if we were to just look at the human existence, mm-hmm. the basic general <laughs> human experience yep. in this universe. That itself is an example of God's general revelation. Yes, it is. Because no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you have experienced things that are objectively, physically true that reveal that, hey, there is a God and there's something you can know about this God. We can learn an awful lot about the, the designer the engineer, the builder of mm-hmm. a thing by looking at the thing itself. Yeah. Uh, so here I, here I have, uh, here I have a iPad. Yeah. 
which is about as useful to me this morning as a Frisbee because I've forgotten the password. Uh, but we can learn a great deal about the people that designed that iPad. Books have now even been written about how they designed those iPads. Yes. I mean, the philosophy of the people yes. and how it influenced why they chose to build something a certain way. Uh, and therein lies uh, actually a very interesting distinction uh, because I can learn a lot about this iPad by looking at it, by thinking about it, by opening it up, by playing with the various programs. If I really wanted to understand the philosophy underlying the design of this this toy, uh, it would be good to talk to the actual engineers. Yeah. So I like... They could say it. Yeah. So general revelation is looking at the created thing. Special revelation is the designer taking you aside and saying, you probably didn't know that when I first thought of this, my intention was X. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. Look at you with the impromptu analogy. Good stuff, sir. That was, uh, I I like that because I think that's. That's an innate skill. I was born with that. Well, how about you? There is no spiritual gift going on there. That was the, the, the ability to take anything sitting on a table and figure out how I can make a theological point about this. But I think... And so Moses said, who am I? And God uh, says, what yes. have you got there in your hand? And he yes. said, well, it's a stick. It's an Good, object. let's it's start there. Okay. That's an object yeah. lesson. Let's do that. <laughs> but I like where you're going with this, with the distinction between general and special revelation. Because you're right. We could hold up that iPad and we could inspect it. We could look at how it's designed, what is true of it, and we could, in a limited sense, figure out, okay, these are some things that seem to be true of the people that made it. Yeah. It seems to be very well-crafted, seems to not have a lot of holes or buttons. It seems to be very simplistic. It seems to be very, I guess, just... Intuitive. Yeah, intuitive is a good word to use. But all that being said, and this is what's going to bring us to special revelation... If we're going to say that the person who designed that, not technically, but on a larger scale, was Steve Jobs, head of Apple, who was head of the original iPad project, and his chief designer, a guy named Joni Ives, who Mm -hmm. brought his designing philosophy to it. I could look at that iPad all I wanted. I could write books and books and books just on the observations of the iPad, and that is all great general revelation yeah. Of the mind of Steve Jobs and Joni Ives. But and, and many of your conclusions would be accurate. If I'm following if proper you're, you're observation. Careful, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But none of those observations can truly let me know yeah. Steve Jobs or Joni Ives. That's right. I could never actually truly know the person. I could maybe know things about him that when I finally come face to face with him, I would be like, oh, well... That you just saying that totally makes sense yeah, because of the way yeah. that you built that. The fact, yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, and that is also true with special revelation in the sense that you could be on a desert island and go out on the beach at night, look up at the stars, and just be completely awed and be forced to recognize that I live in a place that is so big yet so intricate, yep. so full of design, and also full of beauty, 
that it has to come from something other than itself and also something bigger than me. Yeah. And in, yeah. Whoever, uh, whoever designed and then created this yeah. is bigger than I am because I couldn't do this. And some people would call that a presupposition. But I think if we look at anthropology or just the general behavior of people in the world, we find that, no, that's not really a presupposition that people come with. It's actually an observation yep. that almost all people make because almost all religions, especially the ancient religions, would basically turn natural things into gods that's right. because they clearly saw that there was something bigger than themselves as there's, evidence of what they saw. There's something bigger outside this cave. Yeah. And it's going to eat me if I don't make a sacrifice of... So, so I better turn into a god. I better show some kind of honor yeah. to it, which is not the truth. It's not true. But it, but it shows that they were objectively realizing something that God was revealing in nature. Yet they had gotten the general revelation. They hadn't gotten the spiritual revelation. So we should probably... Yeah. Although yeah. Romans says they are without excuse. That's for the what thing. can be known about God. That's the has been made known through what is created. So yeah. uh, God actually has given us enough if we're looking carefully. Now let me ask you this. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, sure La last week <laughs> I told you that there was a question I would ask my 7th graders when I teach intro to theology as a teacher to 7th graders that on the first day they were so sure in what they in their convictions <laughs> and belief about God but as soon as I got into this discussion they were so quick to abandon certain things that they believed. And it was actually this question, which is, well, wait a second. If I look at Romans chapter 1, and I see that general revelation is enough to condemn someone, yeah. and that's clear in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, so that they are without excuse. Yeah. So if general revelation is enough to send a person to hell, yeah. shouldn't it also be enough to send a person to heaven? Can someone be saved just with general revelation? Are you familiar with a... Uh, I like how you looked at your watch before uh, getting yeah, ready, because it's a, like, a, all right. A, a missions, <laughs> uh, missions anthropologist who had done a lot of important writing, uh, Don Richardson. I don't name? recognize the name, but I recognize some of those discussions from missions anthropologists. Okay. That, mm -hmm. Don Richardson is a uh, Wycliffe anthropologist. Okay. Uh, and uh, Wycliffe being a missions agency, I believe, right? Wycliffe yeah. is mm -hmm. the, yeah, they're, mm -hmm. they're the translators. Uh, they do uh, tribal work. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stephen is going off with. Yeah, that's right. Your son, uh, another supportive son, missionary yeah. at our, our school. Going off with Wycliffe. Um, actually, jars, but who's yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> how do I get into that anyway? But <laughs> Don Richardson wrote a book that I recommend if you really want to understand how general revelation works in the in the whole scheme of things. He wrote a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Uh, it's it's quoting a verse in uh, in Ecclesiastes that God has said eternity in their hearts, uh, and the point he makes there is that. Uh, every human being has a kind of a God-shaped vacuum. Uh, we're all designed in such a way that when we look at what God has created, we tend to believe that there is a God there. 
That's just, shown to be it's true. Just the way mm-hmm. God created us, mm-hmm. and we see that. And the way you demonstrate this empirically is by studying the cultures of very primitive people, yes. uh, which is what Don Richardson has yeah. done. He says, in in the vast majority of primitive cultures, we'll find uh, some some clue, some some bit of mythology, some old story, some cultural habit yeah. uh, that points to an initial belief in one great God who mm-hmm. created it all yeah. uh, and will one day come back with a book to explain it. I'm, I love that you put that. I remember learning that at Moody, that that I, I remember Floyd Schneider talking about that. He was probably yeah, getting he it would. from that book. He would, and yeah. he made some great points about that, talking call about that this problem. The redemptive analogy. The redemptive analogy. But the question is, yeah. does doing that qualify a tribal person for salvation? salvation? Don Richardson. You Very passing the buck. Oh, oh yeah, I am. <laughs> Very famously and mm-hmm. controversially mm-hmm. has suggested that in many cases... Yes. Wow. Yeah. That would be very controversial. That is, is really controversial, and it has it has caused him some problems. What do you think about that? Uh, I think he's got an excellent point. Uh, what what I see in his evidence, yeah, is that in many situations, with primitive people uh, are perhaps not they're not Christians. But they have believed accurately in everything that they've observed and understood. Everything that and they've been given. they're ready for the gospel when it shows up. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. I, I have and, heard. And so I, get, yeah. I get wondering. Yeah. You know, are they, is they is or is they ain't? Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very surprised to hear him say that. And I'm not, I don't know this person. I assume that he's a great conservative thinker. Yeah, he is. That he's someone that should be trusted. And obviously he has spent much more time with these people <laughs> infinitely. I mean, yeah, is, more than me because I've spent really none. Yeah, his conclusions are, are coming from way more anthropology than I've done. Yeah, his observation of people. Yeah. But here's what we should get to then on the flip side of this, because we've talked about general revelation. Examples of general revelation could be anything from nature to falling in love, I think, could be an example of general revelation. Just the ecstasy. Amazingly enough, the whole whole (laughs) animal living universe tends to be set up on a boy-girl kind of basis. And normally... Boys and girls are the ones who fall in love. Yeah. It's unusual for other stuff to happen. Although when it does, it happens. Uh, but you know, if you're studying nature and you're trying to figure out what's normal, yeah. that, that can be a hard thing. But I'm not even just talking about procreation. I'm talking about this idea that, oh, not just, oh, that's someone that would bear me, you know, good children, but I <laughs> I love that person. Yeah. That yeah. That I have a intrinsic value in my heart that gives me feelings towards this person, I would say that's a great example of general revelation. Yeah. How do you explain the existence mm-hmm. of human love? 
Yeah. Oh, it's a, it they, they try, they try as to. an advantage for yeah. this Oh, yeah. give me a break. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it, give it's me a stretch. A break. Yeah. It, it's a stretch. <laughs> Any other just quick examples of general revelation that you could think of? Nature, um, love, I think maybe even just the, uh, some kind of parental nature that, that we have, this, uh, yeah. the birth it's, of a newborn. It's and just built the, into us. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there are, there are, there's chemistry involved. Uh, uh, the hormonal changes yeah. that take place, serotonin, and, and all, all of that this stuff. stuff is going on. Yeah, uh, and that's designed to make mom a better mom. Yeah, and dads melt at the <laughs> at the sight of a newborn. Yeah, big tough guy. No, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. What's the stupid uh, uh, story? The uh, I'm thinking of a cartoon thing with... And you look the, to me for the, answers. The yes. Superman character and his wife and the three kids. You're thinking of The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Great movie. And that great big guy with that little bitty baby. Little, yeah. little bitty yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah. it's very cute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's true. It is true, yeah. And God designed us that way. Now, when you observe something like that, you think, well, you know, probably evolved over yeah. billions. Well, what were people doing during all those billions of years while this mm -hmm. tendency was evolving? The fact that it's such a unique human experience, yeah. I think, points to the fact that it is the product of God purposely allowing it to happen specifically for us yeah. because he wanted to reveal himself to us. Yeah. If he had wanted to reveal himself to non-humans in a similar way, he yeah. would have given them the capacity to cry at the Grand Canyon or to melt at the sight of a newborn as opposed to eating them. <laughs> which I mean, eating them, which, which happens. Some of them yeah, do. Yeah, some yeah. of them do. Yeah. So that's general revelation. What then would characterize something as special revelation? Special revelation is the instruction manual that comes with your car. <laughs> Okay. I like that. Okay. Here, here's some information from the designer. Direct from the horse's mouth. In case here's you're wondering how to start this puppy, yeah. here's the correct way to start this thing. Uh, uh, and if you That's haven't cool. figured out how to start a car yet, yeah. by, by the time you're 16 or so. It's uh, information or revelation that can't yeah. just be passively observed. Yep. It is expressly, actively given to you. Yeah. It's information that God has determined is necessary for us to understand mm -hmm. the general revelation. Mm -hmm. So that uh, those tribal folks often yeah. often uh, in the Trobriand Islands, yeah, uh, maybe have been expecting somebody to come in a big boat with. Mm -hmm. scripture on a banana leaf forever and ever. Which and we have heard their, their has been the case. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when somebody finally shows up, they say, oh, this yeah. is really cool. Now what you need to do is translate that into our language so yeah. that we can get it. And it's such a big deal to actually yeah. get the words yeah. that explain what they've seen all along. Have you ever heard the story of the Nez Pierce Five? Sometimes they're called the St. Louis Five. Yeah. If I yeah okay yeah so um, I'll I'll tell the story, the story and yeah, yeah I'll fill in the blanks for you. So Lewis and Clark 
they go on their journey in 1803 from St. Louis all the way to Astoria, what would be later called Astoria, Oregon. Yep. And on their way up, they're going up the Missouri River, up, up, up into the northern Rocky Mountains, which is yep. called the Bitterroot Range, yep. uh, just south of here in the region that would be like Lewiston. And they're coming through that region, and they come across the Nez Perce Indians. Yep. Have a really good relationship with them, uh, spend time with them, then move on on their journey. On their way back, they spend a pretty extended time with them, and we have a lot of information about their interactions from their journals, not just Lewis and Clark's journals, but also some of the people that went. Patrick, Patrick Gass is the name of one of the core of Discovery who yep. wrote a lot of journals. And we just find this great camaraderie that they had. Well, later on, they go home. Meriwether Lewis goes to Washington. He becomes governor of the entire territory. Clark, he stays in St. Louis, and he becomes head of Indian Affairs. A couple years later, five of these Nez Perce Indians from the tribe that had gotten to know Lewis and Clark, they travel all the way across the Louisiana Territory to St. Louis, yeah. knock on the door of, of Clark, and they ask for the black book. <laughs> they say, hey, we heard you guys talking about the, the fact that there was a black book that God had given that gives all the answers to all these things that yeah. we have been dealing with, yeah. and we want it. Yeah. And there's been a lot of historical debate about the importance of that. In fact, if you even go to Cataldo Mission, they actually... They actually change the story, and I don't want to digress too much, but they change the story that we have historical evidence from to make it more Catholic friendly. They they they, they claim that they asked for the black robes that they were asking the black for the priests. robes, um, yeah, but the we priest. have but we have a clear historical evidence that that's a primary source that says clearly that it's the black book because yeah, well, that's a great story. They were so thrilled with the idea that there would be this book of answers that gives explanation to the things that they had been observing for centuries and been trying to make sense of themselves through the form of shaman and rituals and, and things that are wrong, yeah. that they traveled all the way across eastward, the Louisiana Territory, just mm -hmm. to get it. Clark apparently explained it to them. Uh, and the story is actually tragic. They died of white man's disease, never made it back. But the final end of that story is it was published in a Christian magazine mm -hmm. and a girl named Narcissa... Uh, later, Narcissa Whitman okay. read that, okay. and that is actually what started the American missions movement out west oh. because they saw that article as like a rallying cry. If they would be willing to come here for special revelation, you need to be going as a missionary to them, giving them the special revelation. And that's what led to the Whitmans and another group called the Spaldings coming to this area, all because of a desire of Native American Indians who had a wealth of general revelation, yet desperately desired special revelation. Yeah. Isn't that something? I love that, that story. That's a great story. And it, it, it's very, very true. That's the relationship. The general yeah. revelation demonstrates there is a God up there, and we should do whatever we can to get on his good side. Absolutely. Because a God big enough to create all of this could squash us. Yeah. Uh, and then for somebody to reveal... Well, there there is a book. Exactly. Well, wouldn't it be something if the God who created all of this yeah. wrote down some instructions? Yeah. It's it's powerful. <laughs> so when we think of general revelation, it is things that can be generally seen, and the information that it gives, I would also consider general. Mm -hmm. 
okay, there seems to be a God. He seems to be a creator. There's certain attributes that we can see of him. He's big. He's beautiful. He's, he has d design. Um, special revelation would be the opposite. When I was teaching, sometimes I would describe it as specific revelation. Yep. Just to make it easier to understand to seventh graders okay. that this is something that is specifically given yep. and it gives specific information. Right. So what are some examples of special revelation? Genesis. The book of Genesis. Yeah. You, you look at the universe and you say, wow, it looks to me like there was some design here, some order. Yeah. But uh, then so you turn then to Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, that explains it. That fills in a lot of blanks. That fills in yes. a lot of blanks. That, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I'd always wondered about that. Now, now it's clear. General revelation kind of gives the what. Special revelation points to the who. The who, the why, the who, the why, the when, the where, a whole lot of other stuff going on. So God's word, the greatest example of special revelation. Well, the only example of special revelation. I'm glad revelation. you said that. So wait a second. What about, I mean, didn't God reveal things through prophets? Well, he, uh, he, he does, uh, but unless that comes out as scripture, we're not mm -hmm. going to count that as special revelation. Okay, so... 3,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, there's a prophet that says, hey, guess what? God spoke to me. This is the message that he wants you to hear. And they go, wow, this is important. We hope that what you say comes true. If not, we're going to kill you, which is true. Sounds that fair. Sounds fair. Yeah. Uh, but if it is true, we are, we're we, either going to write it we down. We should do that with the yeah. World Health Organization. Oh, oh boy, you went there. You me. went I'm, there. I'm the one. Uh, oh, we I'm made sorry, it 45 man. minutes without a coronavirus reference. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a new, new That's record. a new record, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the prophet, hundreds of years ago, would say, this is a message directly from God. Because they didn't have the Old and New Testament yet. That's right. So they would say, okay, we're going to wait to see if this comes true. If it comes true, we are either going to have you write it down or we're going to write it down, and we're going to add it to the pages of other things that past prophets have written down yep. that we have seen as authoritative. Yep. In the same way, after Jesus came, yes. the people who... Not quite the way it goes. Not quite the way it goes? Not How can we better understand it? Um, the the prophets were authoritative right from the, from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So um, Isaiah, for mm -hmm. example, had an immediate following of, of those who were also believers and understood that here's a man who's speaking from God. Mm -hmm. And they also had an immediate pushback from those who mm -hmm. had already rejected God and knew that this is a message from that God that they rejected. Mm -hmm. And so the message was rejected immediately. Yeah. The, the point was not whether or not Isaiah was a prophet. The point was whether or not believers mm -hmm. So uh, here's my question. Okay. Did, so when Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah and had his prophecy career, did people just believe that he was a prophet as a presupposition? Or is it true that he had to deliver some kind of sign in order to show his authority? I know that's a hard question, but. Yeah, that's, a, that's actually an excellent question. Uh, in Isaiah's case, the, um, the signs of the prophets in the Old Testament were primarily uh, the ability to predict uh, what's going to come next. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of Isaiah's prophecies were 
short term. Mm -hmm. uh, and so by the time Isaiah was mm -hmm. well underway, he he had a track record. Yeah. Uh, but most of the stuff that matters in the book of Isaiah is between 500 and yeah. 3,000 years in the mm -hmm. future, and there's long distance. Uh, but the so point is that God gave like Isaiah things that showed his authority through some kind of sign, yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah the, the miracles in the Old Testament, well, the New Testament as well, yeah. the miracles were designed to authenticate a messenger and mm -hmm. a message. Yeah. Uh, so Isaiah is authenticated primarily with Isaiah was the authentication mm -hmm. of, of the confirmed prophecy. Mm -hmm. But earlier prophets like Elijah actually went out and did miracles. They did miracles. Mm -hmm. uh, and interestingly, whatever Elijah said, most of it wasn't written down. We don't have a lot of a lot of his work. But he he kicks off this prophetic movement. There you go. Okay. That's good stuff. And maybe the classic example of that would be Moses. Yeah. Moses. Where God goes to Moses and says, hey, Moses I want you to deliver a message of special revelation. Yeah. First off, let my people go. Yeah. But pick up this stick. Watch what happens. It's going to turn into a snake. Do that. Give it to Pharaoh. And that's going to show snake, who they're dealing stick, with. Snake, stick. Yeah, I love that. That's a great... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's a great relationship between general revelation, what can be generally seen by everyone in the room. Like, hey, look at that stick over there. It's It, it has a tongue now, and it's hissing, uh, as opposed to special revelation. Oh, the guy holding that stick, who claims that God is the one who did something with that stick, he's saying that he's bigger than all our gods, and he wants us to let their people go. That's it. Yeah. That's the difference between general versus special in one example. One example, yeah. And throughout biblical history... Yeah, God would give God would reveal Himself through prophets. He would deliver messages through miracles, through mighty acts that He would do with His people in history. Yeah. But the ultimate example, and I think I can fairly call this the ultimate example of special revelation, is the fact that God chose to actually take on the form of a man yeah. and step up off His throne, kind of like what Philippians two describes come into this world, make his dwelling among us, pitch his tent in our camp, so to speak, and say, here I am. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And this is like a, com a combination of general and special revelation where you're looking at me, but I'm giving you a message about what I'm going to do, which then brings us to the New Testament, where the people that he was saying those things to recorded it and said, you guys need to know this too. So you get Hebrews one one. You know, in times past, diverse manners and all kinds of ways, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. Yes. But now, in these last days, God Excellent. has spoken to us in His Son, and that goes on to explain who Jesus is. I was going to bring up that reference, and that's Hebrews. He was going there, yeah. Hebrews one one. Hebrews one one. Uh, and and that's a key for understanding a whole lot of stuff that's yes. going on here. You know, people worry about whether or not the the canon of scripture should be closed. Hmm. And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> canon meaning what books belong the in the Bible. Yeah, the what's list. the list of the true the biblical books? books? Yeah. Hebrews 1 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, whom he appointed the heir 
of all things. Yeah, that's uh, that's in the perfect tense. He has spoken. I love that. It's over. I love that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the very image of the invisible God, both general and special revelation. That's he right. is the ultimate source of authority. As a result, what has been communicated by God, both about Jesus and from Jesus, also acts as the ultimate sense of special authority, which is, I think, a great illustration of that is when John writes the memoir of his life with Jesus, yeah. he starts out by, de by describing Jesus as in the beginning was the word. He, he likes to connect this idea of the very son of God, God himself, being connected with God communicating himself. Yeah. I love that. And, I, and of course, he's, he's, uh, he's doing a, uh, it's not an analogy. He's, he's looking back at uh, uh, Genesis 1-1. He is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And the earth was without form and void and all of this stuff. And God said, he or nothing. Just nothing. Just poof. Light. Yeah. Just not even that. Let, it's let, just so. Let there be like, yeah. No, yeah. A trivial no, command. Yeah. God's briefest, most matter of fact, uh, trivial, routine command changes the course of history forever. It kind of starts the course of history it, forever, it, as far it, as we're concerned. It invents yeah. energy. <laughs> Where yeah. there was nothing at all. Yeah. Energy yeah. can neither be created nor destroyed, only changed yeah. in form, unless God creates it, which is exactly what he did. And then in John 1 1, in the beginning, in the beginning was, was the word. word. While that was happening, he was there, he was part of it, he was doing it. The he, word was with he God. He wasn't just in on it, he is yes. that word. He was God. I just, so, uh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It's hard not to talk, yeah, the, do that the whole... executive power yeah. to accomplish everything that is. Yeah. Well, Dr. John, we have to do a five-minute drill now because we're getting close to an hour. Five-minute drill? we got to do a five-minute drill. Hopefully, we have parsed out enough. Oh, the I difference. hope that doesn't involve hitting some big, heavy sack of concrete. It might feel that, in the, way that in the way that we try to tie up some of these concepts. But <laughs> as we look back on this past hour... Something we have to realize is if we're going to start out talking about theology, we have to start with the idea that God chose to reveal himself. That's right. He revealed himself in many different ways, yeah. many, many ways general, yeah. but most importantly, special. Yeah. And that we should recognize that the Bible and nothing else qualifies as his special revelation. Yeah. What if someone wakes up tomorrow, gives me a call and says, Pastor Stephen, you'll never guess. I had a dream. It was from God. I want you to know God says this. Oh. How should I respond? You say, that's so special. That's so special. <laughs> that's so special, but it has no authority. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what I would want to say. You know, as a pastor, what I would probably pastor, say. you need to say something else. I'd say, well, I would just be too curious. First off, what did, what's a dream? Let me know. What is it that God says? And as soon as that person says that thing, I would immediately be going through my yeah, catalog yeah. of scripture references <laughs> saying, oh, I already, oh, don't worry. God already gave me that message. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. He already gave me that one. Don't worry. He wrote in Romans, so, so forth. He already said what you just said. So thanks for letting me know again. <laughs> but God already actually revealed that to us. 
And yeah, let's turn yeah. there. And he even talks even more than what he gave you in the dream. Let's turn back yeah. to God's word. Yeah. That more often than not is probably the best way to respond. Uh, yeah, you're right there. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the majority of times that I've had people come to me with new revelation, I, it's a distortion of something that mm-hmm. has been in the Bible for a good long time. Yeah. <laughs> and so whether it's John Piper writing a best-selling book yeah. or whether it's your neighbor having a dream, whether it's someone going out in the woods and coming out with gold tablets saying, hey, guess what? Ooh. Whether it's someone out in the desert coming if back years later. Have melted those down and saved them. For, I know. You know yeah. Everyone, it seems, and this is just me talking, but it seems like a quick attack on God's word seems to be some kind of transfer of authority. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is not what is authoritative. This is not true. truly God's special revelation. What I have to tell you is. And so that's going to be where we're going to have to start. God does reveal himself generally through all. But even though it puts us on the hook for God, even though it can maybe bring us close to salvation, I'm going to disagree with the guy who wrote your book. I'm going to say that ultimately we have been given a commission as Christians. You know what? If someone's on a desert island right now and they know that there's something out there and they just want to figure out who, well, God told me, hey, you better go out there and you better make sure that they know. I think sometimes we don't take the Great Commission seriously enough. So as a result, yeah. we don't take special revelation seriously enough. We say, well, they're covered. I they'll they'll be okay. Go, I don't need to go out and tell them. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you imply that that's Don Richardson's uh, uh, thesis. Do you think I'm making a straw man? Uh, I think, thesis I think you're bit? making a straw man. Uh, okay. If, if you're okay. saying that okay. he's, uh, he's arguing against I'm the, use for the first time. means for the evangelism of okay. the because I misunderstood that. I thought that's what he was communicating. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. So we'll have to talk about that afterwards. We'll continue to have that discussion and maybe we'll no, you, you bring go, up. You go back and, uh, and read uh, Eternity in Their Hearts. I would love to. So Eternity in Their Hearts by Don Richards. Yeah. Sounds like a sharp guy and I've heard some of his teaching secondarily. So I, I lo- will I love look into stuff. that. I've read Good. everything. Good. Good. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. If you're listening on our podcast, thank you all for watching. Hopefully this has been a fun discussion, but also an informative discussion and and truly a God-focused discussion. If you have questions, you can either message us or you can comment below and we will try to get back those answers to you. We'll try to put a link for the book that you mentioned in our podcast description as well as in the comment section on Facebook. How cool would that be? That would be pretty cool. Yeah, I bet you can get it on Kindle. I bet you probably could. I haven't ever tried. But, uh, hey, well, <laughs> as long as you have your password, right? <laughs> I, I no longer have my password, so I, I don't. I, yeah. I need to go back and find the special revelation for there the, for the yeah. iPad. Yeah. Well, we thank you guys for watching and listening. We hope that you join us again next week at 6 o'clock. And again, we encourage you. Facebook is great. YouTube is great. But we are turning this into a podcast where you can go on Apple iTunes or you could even go on Google Play and you can look up our podcast and subscribe. And little fun fact, if you subscribe to our podcast, you will actually get to hear this before everyone else on Facebook because this is going to go on podcasts in about 45 minutes as opposed to 6 o'clock later this evening. So if you want to get the inside scoop, you want to subscribe to our podcast. Otherwise, we lift up our coffee mugs to you. Keep on seeking the Lord and we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for listening to Armchair Theology. To listen to our podcast, go to iTunes on your computer or the Apple Podcast app on your phone or tablet and click subscribe. If you follow us on Facebook, go to our page and like us to stay up to date with our content. New podcasts air every Thursday morning, and our Facebook show airs at 6 p.m. on Thursday evenings. You can watch us on Facebook and YouTube, and you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and all other podcast hosting services. See you next week.